Will Arsenal's season be derailed by injuries? We continue our reaction following a disappointing night at Selhurst Park on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simi. Feeling a bit down, feeling a bit down in the dumps uh, today. I'm not going to lie, not just because of last night's result, but some of the news that's come out of the club uh, with regards to the fitness of certain players uh, has also led me to have greater concern. Uh, So we're going to dig into all of that. We're going to continue to react to last night. We're going to be talking about how we can potentially solve those issues that we're going to have going forward or what we can do to best patch them up. Joining me to do that is the brilliant Mike Stavrou, journalist, broadcaster and friend, of course. Mike, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I've got to say, H, um, I watched your reaction show last night after and you look so glum. The the only ever time I've seen you look that glum is uh, when we went to a restaurant and... uh, the waiter came over and brought our food. I had some massive mixed grill and Harry had about <laughs> like six or seven pieces of octopus. So I could see him like trying to, you know, smile and, and trying to like, you know, <laughs> trying to act like it wasn't a big deal. But uh, yeah, mate, I'm feeling, you know, you know what I, for, for other reasons, I had a really bad day yesterday. Just one of them days where everything goes badly. And I was like, Oh, surely it can't get worse. And uh, lo and behold, it did get worse, but, it's sort of like when something bad happens and you have a bad day and then the football happens and then th- that's also bad. It almost like softens the blow a little bit because it's like, OK, well, you know, I've had a bad day anyway. Arsenal have lost. Whereas if you've had a really good day, you're buzzing for the game and then Arsenal go and ruin your day. It's like it's almost a bit worse. You know what I mean? What you're basically saying is that you were already prepared for disappointment before the game even yeah, started ba- last night. Yeah, basically prepared for disappointment and uh, for, for other reasons. And yeah, Arsenal didn't lift my mood, but it didn't it didn't worsen it either because it was on the floor. But yeah, not great, not great. <laughs> yeah, it it wasn't great at all. Um, said on the sort of post match reaction show that I was. I, I could tell sort of five, ten minutes into the game that it was going to be one of those nights. We never started the game. Um, we were second to every ball. We lacked uh, the commitment. We weren't competitive, as Mikel Arteta uh, so rightly put. I think we, th- there were just so many issues with this Arsenal side yesterday. Having one of our first choice fullbacks out is something that for a little while now we've kind of gotten away with but having two out was a big big problem for us as you could see yeah um we're going to break down all these bits of kind of news individually but we've been told that Kieran Tierney's uh, scan on that knee injury picked up on international duty doesn't look good um and some reports coming out of Scotland the Scottish Sun are reporting this I know they're not exactly uh sort of the beacon of truth but um the Scottish Sun are saying that he could be out for the entire season. We saw another abysmal performance from Nuno Tavares um, coming into mm. the side cold and he, he looked like he hadn't played for for, for ages. Uh, Thomas Partey's injury, uh, Mikel Arteta alluded to in his press conference after the game that it's a similar injury to what he's had before, which suggests that it's probably a hamstring uh, muscular problem, which means at minimum three, four weeks yeah. out on the sidelines. A number of players just didn't turn up and perform on the night. There's just so much to unpack here. Mm. Um, I want to start off, though, by getting your sort of overriding thoughts on the game. I mean, aside from the kind of obvious, you know, we, we weren't at it and Crystal Palace were better than us. Sort yeah. of what did you take away from that performance and how much has it impacted your thoughts on the process and the direction, mm. if at all, in which the team is headed? I want to say straight away, like Crystal Palace had 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 the energy and they had the spirit, and you know that early goal lifted the crowd. And once you know those mistakes that we'd made were, were hammered into the team, it's like they just collapsed. And you saw sort of similarly a weak mentality that we've had in the past. It was almost like a throwback to those late Wenger days and Emery days, and some of the days under early Mikel Arteta as well, where we just, you know, lose our call, lose our heads. Um, they can't execute the the game plan because mentally they're gone. And I think that's what we saw last night. But even though Crystal Palace were good, I don't think like in the final third, they were 
they were that incisive. Um, you look at where the goals came from. The the first one, uh, shocking defending from from Tavares and and Gabriel. Just you know, two men get out jumped by uh, Anderson, and it doesn't even hit. It didn't. He didn't even head it. It just hits his head. You know, it's not even like he's put across a brilliant header back across the box. He's literally slammed against his head, um, beaten two defenders, um, who Gabriel, you would say, is, is good in the air typically. Um, so that was the, and obviously, you know, they they score and, uh, and Mateta is, is on mark. So that's that's the first goal. The second goal, I mean, it's just shambolic. It, you, you know, you, you wouldn't say that's Steven Gerrard playing that pass. This. It's, it's Joaquim Anderson playing a hopeful, you know, Hollywood ball that he probably doesn't even think is going to get anywhere near, you know, putting a, a it man It shouldn't get through goal. either, should it? It, yeah, it shouldn't beat not. Gabriel. Of course not. It, it shouldn't beat Gabriel. And Tavares does not help out Gabriel at all because as um, he, does, he doesn't react. Whereas Ayu reacts when when Gabriel misses the ball. Um Tavares just switches off and you know what I say switches off he didn't switch on the entire game there was not one moment where I thought this guy is you know in tune with the game plan he he, he sort of knows what he's doing he just looked lost out there and what that did that that fed through to to Gabriel and Gabriel was almost like doing two jobs and he had to overcommit and that's why you saw him made that rash challenge for the for the second goal because he was thinking there's no way Nuno's going to get this I need to jump in Whereas if it was Kieran Tierney, they're like, you know, let Tierney deal with this. You know, it's coming to his side. That that's his man coming from the right. Let him deal with it. Let him intercept it. But obviously, Gabriel had no faith in uh in Nuno, and obviously Arteta has very little faith in Nuno Suarez because he's been taken off at 35 minutes in the FA Cup, and then 45 minutes. And I'm pretty sure there's there's been another game where he's been hooked early as well, maybe at half time. I can't remember exactly what game. Not enforced. But... It was not enforced in the first was half, that... wasn't it? In the FA Cup. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, you know, that's multiple occasions where he's clearly shown not to trust him. And it's almost like that little spell in the team before where he actually was keeping Tierney out of the team has just completely disappeared. Um, and it, it sort of seems like he's a, well, he is a young player, but he's someone that is, you know, thinking about these mistakes. Whereas you've got the the fearless youngsters like Saka and Emma Smith Rowe, who if they make a mistake or if things don't quite right, they've got the mental fortitude to sort of bounce back. But Tavares, every time he gets on the pitch, just doesn't look right. But um, yeah, I think that that's a fair point to make about Palace because I've just talked about the 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 first two goals um, and the penalty as well. And that was just a, an obvious mistake by Odegaard. Again, he was you know he panicked and they had two shots. Harry, two shots. And, and scored three goals. And scored three goals. <laughs> so, you know, you can't even sit there and say Palace were incredible. They were very good. They were they were very energetic. They had a game plan. Um, and in the second half, they just shut up shop. And even though we had about three million attackers on the pitch, we couldn't get anywhere near uh, Vicente Guaita. So, yeah, overall, mate, it was just awful. But I wouldn't give Palace, you know, I'll give them credit, but I wouldn't say that they were incredible. Yeah, and and it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Because always when a, a top team or a big club or a big team, whatever you want to call us, I don't know. I don't know that you can call us the top team, but a big team gets beaten. The the instant kind of reaction or the go-to reaction for a lot of people is to be critical of the team who've lost the game, the, to be critical of the big side who've underachieved. I think we, we've become almost so mindful of that that people have maybe gone overboard in their praise of Crystal Palace yesterday. Uh, as you mm -hmm. said, I think that Crystal Palace were, I don't think they were very good sort of on the ball in possession in terms of breaking us down in terms of, like I don't think we made them work for it, but I yeah. do think they were much more committed than Arsenal. And yeah. if you get those basics right, then of course you create a platform from which you have a, a greater chance of going on um, and winning the game. I don't want to be this reactionary because I, I I pride myself on trying not to be this guy. And I don't want to be Mr. Doom and Gloom after every defeat. I never thought at the outset this season that Arsenal would finish in the top four. I've sort of come around to the idea that it's it's possible over the last couple of months. Um, I still think it would be an overachievement if we managed it based on sort of the process, the fact that we've had to rip everything out, the fact that we've had to leave ourselves a little bit thin. And I... I've seen a lot of people critical of Mikel Arteta's decision to thin out the squad. 
um, in recent times. And we'll come on to that in a little bit. But just on Nuno Tavares, before we move on mm. from the left back, is this is this the end of Nuno Tavares at Arsenal? Because he was someone that was signed for, what, eight, nine million pounds in the summer. Somebody yeah. who was clearly brought in as an understudy to Kieran Tierney. Somebody we hoped could play that role. As you mentioned, he had a really good run of games earlier on in the season. In fact, on some of the preview shows, I was sitting there saying, I think he gives us more going forward than Kieran Tierney because he is that bit unpredictable. Um, He does sometimes come inside rather than always going on the outside. He's got that power, pace, the fearlessness that you mentioned. But Nuno Tavares in his current state is is not fit for purpose. And this is the second time now Mm. that he's been hooked off early. Mikel said post-match it was tactical, but I'm not buying that. Um, You know, I think he looked at his performance and and thought it was awful and and decided that we were better off without him on the pitch. Do you feel like he's sort of slowly showing Mikel Arteta that he's not up to the task? Well, um, your mate, a friend of the show, I shouldn't say your mate, it sounds horrible, uh, Tom Canton (laughs) said, said before the game on Twitter, you know, Tavares is going to show us uh, all the attacking deficiencies that that Tierney, you know, ha- has basically, and he's going to sort of show. And in in a way, he was right because Tavares on his day uh, can do that, but it's it's going the other way, Harry. He's just woeful defensively, and I think as as I said, I think it very much is a mentality thing. Those perform past performances where he's got hooked off are haunting him. And uh, I don't, that's that's a hard thing to get past. And I, I think like the only way you get past that is playing through it. But I don't think he should be allowed to play, play through it at this stage of the season, this critical stage. Because one mistake, you know, an, an, another mistake could, could derail him and it could derail us. So I don't think that should be allowed to happen. We'll talk about obviously what could be done on that later. But um, yeah, I don't think he's done because I think when you have a secondary competition like the Europa League, the squad is massive. Uh, the squad is so, so important. And he will probably play, you know, whatever competi- European competition we're in next year, whether that's Champions League or or Europa League. I've, I feel like he will play some games in that competition. Um, or if not, if we're in the Champions League and Arteta needs to rotate because, you know, we're playing midweek again, he'll need to play a few Premier League games. So, you know, we can't completely rule him out because then that will be another position that we need to strengthen him in, in the summer. And we've seen that, you know, he, he can have flashes of, of good. So we need to work on that rather than just, you know, a few bad games and say, get rid of him. But um, I, I do understand where the question is coming from because, you know, it's not just bad, it's shocking yesterday. Um, let me yeah. let me ask you this then, Mike, because yeah, we've almost in the last few months sort of become obsessed with, um, w- with this idea of getting back into the Champions League mm. next season. Um, a lot of us... You know, you, me have all sat here and said that if we did it, it would be quite an achievement. And although in in the fans' eyes and in a lot of people's kind of standards, getting in the Champions League for Arsenal is a minimum. Mm. I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you agreed with me that if we did manage it this time around, we'd be slightly yeah. ahead of schedule. Do we run the yeah. risk of, if we did get in the Champions League, sort of, falling really short and it damaging us domestically and sort of in the Champions League based on the fact that we don't have a deep enough squad because we were missing a couple of players yesterday and it completely changed the dynamic. So do do you fear that although it's great to be ahead of schedule and although it will allow us the opportunity to go out and and spend more money because of the the financial Mm. reward that it brings, do you feel like there's too much work that needs to be done to make Arsenal... In, or to put Arsenal in a position where they can compete for the top four again next season but mm. also have a good crack at the Champions League. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, and yeah, I mean, if we don't heavily bolster the squad and we have this, this similar squad uh, that we do now next year with the Champions League, we, you know, it could really, really affect our, our league form because there's so like it's, it's all the traveling it's you know having the the extra game a week there's so much that that goes into that the the increased possibility for injuries with with more games it's just yeah you're 100% right it could but i feel like if we aspire to be a champions league club first of all we need to get in there and you know whether we scrape it or whether we you know get there get in there regularly 
that ha- needs to happen first, and then we can start to worry about about the other stuff. And I, I feel like that Champions League money and that that allure of playing Champions League football will allow us to go out and do so much that would enable us to increase the uh, increase the quality in the squad, and you know maybe go and get out some more commercial deals, which will bring more revenue, which you know could be put towards the club or put towards transfers. You know this it, with the Champions League, it's just endless positives that. I'm not sure you can sort of look at it and say, all right, we're not quite ready. Because I feel like you almost just have to go in there, do as best as you can. Because I think all of us have the mindset, Arsenal fans, even if we don't get out of the group in the Champions League, it will still be a success because we're back in it. We're we're back in yeah. that competition that we've been waiting for for so many years. And even if, if we get battered in all three games, it's not going to be nice. And you know we will get humiliated, but you're back in the competition and you, you have that 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 ability to to become you know to get back in there and and yeah i, I don't know i can't i i can't see a justification for going the other way you know oh no i'm and, and let me be clear i'm not saying that i don't want us to finish in the top four i absolutely do i'm desperate for it i am desperate yeah. for it because i feel like Mikel arteta overall has done a good job i think at the end of the game last night those who were still in selhurst park in sort of arsenal colors were chanting his name. I thought they sent a clear message uh, to the players and to the manager that they're very much behind him and they're very much um, sort of behind the direction of travel that we're currently in. And and I think that we've got to be, you know, pleased. Overall. Look, I think on the road, we've taken 15 points from the last 18 available. I mean, that, when you think about where we were, how can anybody say that's not progress? Going into the game last yeah. night... We were 13 points better off at this stage of the season than we were last season. 13 points is a lot. It's a lot. It makes a big difference. So I think for me, it's it's undeniable that we're moving in the right direction. I just, I do think that, yes, getting back in the Champions League quicker is obviously really, really important. But I do worry that unless there is huge investment and unless the squad is built out a lot more come the summer, that with Champions League football, it's great. But, we're going to struggle to yeah. balance the two because we're only playing essentially a Premier League competition at the moment. And we've seen that one or two players absent can really impact us. Let's move on um, to quickly sort of touch on the debate that's going around at the moment with regards to whether or not we should have strengthened in January. I thought at the time that that we probably should have. Um, I wanted us to, to go out and bring in a striker. We didn't do it. Um, I kind of came to the... The, the conclusion at the end of the window that for Arsenal not to have done it, they must not have felt that the right deal was on the table. I, I liked the idea of Alexander Isak. I didn't like the idea of paying £75 million for him and what that might mean for us in the summer. Um, we decided not to do that. Looking, It's easy to do this with hindsight, but did mm. Mikel Arteta, and we all recognised and acknowledged it was a risk at the time, is that risk going to be what costs us this season or do you still think that even with a couple of additions we would have found it tough to get over the line it's just this is the most typical thing harry honestly like it's we lose one game and we get battered and it's like oh did we make a mistake but a few a few games ago when we'd just gone on a five match winning streak it was like oh you know maybe arteta was right not to splash out mm. on a strike it's just with arsenal fans and with fans in general it's so fickle man honestly and well i'll stick by what i said in the in January, which is I I think we should have, but I could I could understand that if they felt like they couldn't get the the striker in that they were one hundred percent convinced about, then then they don't get him because that that makes sense. I feel like this next purchase, this striker purchase, is the difference between us being a good club and and a very good club. Like that will elevate us because at the moment our striker is not scoring goals, and I think it's understated to to you know. That you can't state how big of an issue that is, when when your strike has no confidence, has not scored a a goal in open play. God knows when I saw the stat yesterday, I, I couldn't believe it. It was something ridiculous. That is so seventeen, eighteen hours was it? Something like that. Yeah, something something mental like that, and that is a huge thing. But you know, it's hindsight, isn't it? It's after five after five match winning streak, we're in the key position for for top four you know, oh, okay, maybe we didn't really need a striker. We're, we're getting through. Lacazette is amazing. Lacazette is the best team player in the world, you know. Oh, he's so amazing. He's so selfless. 
and then suddenly he puts in a, a shocker and it's like, oh, Lacazette, man, like you've not scored in all this time and he's so rubbish and get rid of him. So, you know, it is very much this flip floppy nature that, 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 um, that fans have. Um, and we can be guilty of as well sometimes, but I think we at least are speaking for me and you trying to stick by what we said. And we did criticize that in January and we thought it was a, it was a mistake, but we could also see the other side of it where, you know, we, we have entrusted this manager and this, club in its current state to make those decisions because of the summer that they had and the fact that just going back as well I, I, I just want to touch on this last point and um, because someone in the chat said it was it might be a sackable offense if we don't get champions league just touching on that i spoke to someone the, the other day a few arsenal fans and i was saying do you really think that at the beginning of the season um arsenal's the club's objective was to get back into the champions league because i don't think so and if it, you say that wasn't. i mean it was that's that's up to you. But at the end of the day, I don't know that the club's objective. You don't know. But I'm just saying, based on that situation right there in the summer, with all of those risks that we made, with United buying Jaden Sancho, Cristiano Ronaldo and Rafael Varane, um, Spurs, you know, they kept Harry Kane, which was a huge, huge thing for them. Brought in um, Antonio and, Conte. Yeah, exactly. Uh, later on, they'd get Conte. So... I don't think you could you could say in any way that 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 top four would have been a realistic objective. They might have thought, okay, well, let's get in the race and let's see where we are around January, February time. They might have well said that, but I don't think for any for any you know way they would have said, which is what some people are saying that oh, well, if Arteta doesn't get top four, then he's gone. I mean, that is just ridiculous. There's no point talking about that. That's that's just ridiculous. But in at the the state that the club was in at the time, I I don't think that was the objective. I don't. No. Me neither. Me neither. I think that the objective was to get back into Europe, to finish in the top six, to uh, display progress on the field and display progress off the field in terms of not financially, uh, because we know that the club pumped in quite a bit of money. The Cronkies um, sort of signing off on a load of um, a load of spending into kind of uh, to help strengthen the team and move us forward. The point I'm trying to make is that I think that when you finish eighth in back-to-back -back seasons, you need to get into Europe. Like that's, and we were lucky to get into Europe because of that FA Cup victory. Uh, previously, we needed we need Arsenal to be back in European competition, and I think that would have been the objective. It's all good sitting there as fans and going, "Well, I remember Arsenal winning the title in 2004, and so because of that, on that basis, we need to be in the Champions League." in 2022 unfortunately things don't work like that the landscape has changed as i've said repeatedly um you know you look at the likes of chelsea who have spent huge money over the last sort of 20 years they are now an established side right at the top of the table liverpool have been sort of reborn again under jürgen klopp manchester city we can't outspend them manchester united you already mentioned the only reason i don't, I don't want to see that say the only reason we're in the hunt for the top four um, is because that the door's been left open. But as we said on, I think it was the last show we did, a, a, you know, a percentage of it is down to that. I think we said it was it about 30%, yeah. 35%. And that can be the difference between making it and not making it. It's as simple as that. I'm just, I, I find it draining that we can go or the fan base in general can go or the Twitter fan base, let's, let's be clear, can go from, oh, yeah, we're on the right path. We're doing brilliantly. I love being an Arsenal fan again. I feel so much pride watching this side to, oh, my God, it's a disaster. It's all over. I mean, let, let, let's be clear, Mike. We are feeling down. Yeah. I don't know about you, and I'll come on to this in a minute, but for me, I feel more down about the implications of some of these injuries as opposed to last night as a result in isolation. I, yeah. I'm more fearful about how we're going to cope with these absences more than I am at the fact that, we slipped up at Crystal Palace and now Tottenham are above us on goal difference. Uh, we'll talk about the game in hand in a bit as well, because that's something that sort of has all of a sudden vanished from some people's minds uh, mm. because of because of the state of play last night. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you that the remit within the club was not to that we had to get Champions League at the start of the season. It was that we had to get back in Europe. And the reason Edu never came out and said that the the plan or the the objective was to get back in Europe and everybody was critical of him for keeping sort of tight-lipped about that was because he knew he'd get this reaction 
because he yeah. knew that if he said we're going to get we want to get back into Europe, everybody would have gone, oh, my God, that's not good enough that he's accepting Arsenal being in the Europa League. The fact that he didn't say anything at all indicates clearer than anything that that the Champions League wasn't what Arsenal felt was achievable. If we do it, great. But if we don't, it doesn't mean that all the work we've done over the last sort of 18 months is, is has been bad and it's just disappeared. Yeah. Um, let's let's move on to the midfield because we've talked about Nuno Tavares and, and as I say, we hear that the Kieran thing could be quite serious and, and perhaps his season is over. Big blow. Midfield, Thomas Partey, he's been world-class in the last couple of months. I'd go as far as saying that. He's been so good. He's been key to everything positive that we've done. Last night, he was shocking. Um, yeah. What do you put that down to? An off night? Yeah. Um, people around him not being at the level? What do yeah. you put it down to? And, and how do you think his absence now is going to impact us? Yeah, shocking overall performance from him. A he he wasn't he wasn't at the races full stop. I think he was late into challenges. His his touch was off. His his passing range was off. You know when he's usually confident and he's taking one or two touches and spraying the ball out to Saka or or to Smith Rowe to Martinelli who on the wings. He just wasn't doing that. And I keep banging on about Harry, but I I will say I think it was a massive oversight from from Arteta when we were getting battered by Palace they were absolutely relentlessly chasing us down and we couldn't get a foot on the ball it was an up the pitch and this is what I was saying about about this number eight thing and I will keep going on about it until the cows come home I think it leaves Thomas Party isolated and you saw what happened when he was isolated last night yes he had a bad game and if Jacker was next to him he probably would have continued to have a bad game I'm not saying that but what I saw last night was when we had the ball at the back, which was the only time when we had the ball in the first half, with Gabriel and White passing it between each other. There was nothing in front of them. What were they meant to do? Gabriel had the ball. His option was to go to Ben White or to go to Nuno Tavares, who was having an absolute shocker and would lose the ball nine times out of ten or, or come back to him. So what what was what were we meant to do in, in that situation? Party was marked by, by Gallagher, man mark, so he couldn't move. And when he did get the ball, he gave it away. And Xhaka was standing in no man's land. He was nowhere to be seen. And when we needed that that senior guy to, to drop in, to, you know, he could have occupied that system that we played before for a bit, just to get us through to half time at maybe 1-0, or just, just to see us through when he dropped into a back three and, and, and helped Nuno play further forward. And he eventually went to left back later on. But... This is this is what I, I think that was. A, I'm criticizing Arteta here for that. I feel like he should have recognized that Palace were battering us. That and even before the game, maybe he should have even seen that before the game that Palace were going to do this. He should have known what's what sort of high intensity football they play with. Um, but yeah, I, even though I think Party had a shocking game, he definitely could have been helped more. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that. Yeah, sort of watching the game back today because I, I did this morning, and I always like to do that. I, between sort of the post-match reaction podcast where it is a little bit raw and then sort of doing the next show where we try and be a little bit more sensible and break things down in a little bit more detail. I did watch the game back and I think you're right. I think that we struggled to progress the ball. We sort of invited Crystal Palace to press us and they did, but they were quite smart in the way they pressed in that they didn't just sort of go 100 miles an hour. It was it was a strategic press from Crystal Palace that prevented us putting the ball into the midfield and progressing it from the back line. And then what you quite often saw was Gabriel hitting balls out to the left wing, hoping that Tavares or, or Smith Rowe was going to pick him up. You saw Ben White, as he quite often does, but being a little bit more direct in the way he was trying to hit uh, Bukayo Saka on the right flank. And it just wasn't working. Crystal Palace backed themselves to deal with those balls and to deal with that threat. Um, so, yeah, I think Mikel Arteta can be criticised for maybe not reacting to that in game. The reason I don't want to go too big, though, on Mikel Arteta is purely because we've developed or found a way of playing over the last few months that's worked for the most part. And I don't think you can ever actually embed a philosophy if you keep flip-flopping every single week. Mm. So I think to a degree, to, to nail a way of playing down to a T, you do have to be a little bit stubborn sometimes. And I look at the team he selected yesterday based on what was available the only thing that you could maybe question, and I don't think this would have had an impact on a result, was Martinelli instead of Emil Smith-Rowe. 
other than that, we'd have all picked the exact same team, given what was available to us. So I think on that basis, it's very hard to kind of hang this all on the manager. Um, Matthew Newbery in the comments says, you're hilarious. You'll keep dropping your targets until Arteta achieves it and you'll say we're progressing. Well, Matthew, for you to say that, I'm going to assume that you're not a regular viewer or listener of the podcast because my target was never finishing in the top four. I always felt that if we managed that, it would be an overachievement. I've said throughout the course of the season and the people in the chat box that are here regularly will back me up on this. I've said throughout the course of the season that within the club, I'm, I'm almost certain that the the aim and ambition would have been a top six finish. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not changing anything. I've, I've, I've also been one of the few people in the sort of Arsenal world who's been saying, well, no, the top four thing, it's not as clear cut as people are making it out. I've been on 90 min and, and been sort of laughed at by my colleagues for when they sort of flip over to me saying, no, it's not done. Stop talking about Arsenal's if they finished in the top four. I've been laughed at on TalkSport for saying that the top four race is not done. So I'm not changing my view at all. My view has been fairly consistent. Um, so I, I don't know where you've got that from. I haven't dropped my standard in any way, shape or form. My standard was just somewhere that uh, a lot of you didn't want to um, didn't want to accept uh, at that pro at that point. Mike, what do you make of? Um, so obviously, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Thomas Partey. Um, obviously converting to Islam recently and that he may have been fasting yesterday and that might have had an yeah. impact on it. I think it's, it's, I, I know that that's a difficult time for players. Um, and it's a, it, particularly if you're somebody who's not done it before and, and you're new to it, I can imagine that fasting takes its toll. But when you look at the way everybody else performed, I think people are making too much of that. Would you agree? And, and for me, the only reason I'm talking about Partey is because of his injury and how I feel that's going to affect us going forward more than wanting to single him out as the only bad yeah. performer. Yeah, I think as well, um, he'd had, you know, two games on his national duty as well, which is never easy. And then just going back to what you said about Martinelli, I think he would have started, but, you know, he, he played his first two games for Brazil and, you know, was, was jetting all over the world. So he must have been shattered which is why I think he didn't play, whereas Smith-Rowe didn't link up with England, did he? So um, he get backed out of the squad. So that's probably why why he played. Um, but yeah, there was there was just poor performances all over the pitch, to be honest. I think the only players who could sort of come out with it with a bit of credit was, I, th I think Ben White did okay. I feel like he was the one out of him and Gabriel that was a bit more switched on, even though, you know, it's, this is fine margins you know they're all quite poor but i'm just trying to look at ramsdale i thought was was all right and uh i think actually even though cedric struggled against the heart i feel like he he didn't get absolutely ruined which he could have done and i feel like he actually held his own a little bit there was a few scenarios where you know he, he took zaha to task where it would have been easy for him to just fold and you know concede a penalty or really like kick it in but he didn't he kept his call um which is fair play to him and I don't think we'd have been crediting Cedric for a long time but it's just the, the importance of of getting these players back like Tommy Asu because I think if we can get back Tommy Asu what that does is just allow us to almost have a bit of a free hit on on the left hand side and someone who's not particularly great defensively because we can we can flip the system and play him as one of the one of the centre backs um, essentially and one of the right backs as well, sort of hybrid role. And what that does it just shores us up a bit and says to the left back, you know, you go and attack, and um, we will will cover you essentially and we will shift across. Um, so I think that will be huge. I don't really know what's going on with Tommy Asu. I don't know if you saw this in the week, but did Cedric say he was fit or something? I didn't really see what that was all about. I don't know if you saw that. Say that again, mate. We Apparently, Cedric said that Tommy Asu was fit. Yeah, so I don't really know what to make of this Tommy Asu situation, Mike. I've, I've been saying for weeks, you know, every week in the press conference, we get he's really close to returning. And, mm. you know, it, it, it's, it's possible that he'll be involved. He's training. It's possible that he'll be involved. And we think, great, he's back this weekend. And then we get to the weekend and we hear, oh, he was just short. And then it's 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 the same thing over and over again. Yeah, he is training, from what I know, um, but obviously there is a lot of concern about this problem that he has, and it it backs up what I've been saying for a while now that perhaps this is more serious than we're, we're being told. And 
perhaps this is being uh, this is being covered up a little bit because him to be absent for such a long period of time for something that yeah. seemed in the eyes of us at least as fans as pretty innocuous is is obviously of concern um, and of worry. But I, I really don't. And know. Not even in the squad as well because if, yeah, exactly. I, I mean I I didn't read these Cedric comments. I just saw someone talking about it and he said he was fit. Well. In my mind, there's how could he be fit if he's not even on the bench? Like, surely if he was even half fit or three quarters, seventy five percent, he might be on the bench. But to not even be there at all so suggests what you're saying that this injury must be a lot more serious than we than we know. But yeah, it's it's weird we're not getting an update on that. And it, as you say, when you take out those those two, you know, fullbacks, you can lose one, and the, the system gets you know, a little bit misshapen, but but you deal with it. But when you lose two, I mean, the whole thing just just goes off kilter. And I think the number one thing about us this season that has made us so solid and so improved defensively has been that we've played a regular back five with Ramsdale on the back four. And yeah. then for us to lose, you know, two of that back five is, is a huge, huge thing. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Uh, we're going to take a, a short pause and then we're going to start to talk about how we can address uh, some of these problems because we've identified a few of them uh, off the back of uh, injuries picked up during the game at Crystal Palace and uh, in the lead up to it. But just before we do that, I just want to point you in the direction of the latest competition over at Football Prizes, our partners. Now, if you still love him after last night, uh, there is a Patrick Vieira signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt. Uh, available. It's up for grabs. It includes 13 instant win prizes as well. So if you enter, you get the opportunity to win uh, some of those things as well, which include a Tony Adams signed and framed Arsenal shirt, some stuff signed by Robert Perez, vouchers, all sorts of different things. Tickets are £3.95 and there are 199 available. That draw will be made and there'll be one winner uh, of the Patrick Vieira signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt. What I would say is if you're interested in this, Despite there being two days, six hours and 21 minutes left at the time of recording, the auction ends uh, on the uh, 7th of April, which is this Thursday at 7.30 p.m. 131 of the 199 tickets available have already been sold. So if you're interested in this, the link is in the description. Head over there, check it out, get involved um, and uh, and wishing you the best of luck. Big thank you to our friends over at Football Prizes. OK, we're going to take a short pause and then we're going to try and uh, and make sense of how we need to move forward. OK, Michael, I'm going to call you Michael because this is serious, serious business. How are Arsenal going to cope with the absence of, first of all, Kieran Tierney? Now, I've heard a lot of people uh, talking about changing the formation, going to a back three. I've seen mm. some people suggesting that Nuno Tavares should just be stuck with and, and named in the team. I've seen others talk about Cedric playing there if Tommy Asu is back. I've heard all sorts of stuff. I've heard Bukayo Saka at left wing back. What's your take on on the best way to proceed now without Kieran Tierney? It's tough, isn't it? It's, it's really, really tough because he's been really important for us and he's changed his role as well. And do you remember when he first started playing a bit, you know, he wasn't bombing on as much. We both said, oh, he looks like he's struggling a little bit. It's a few months ago, but he's, he's really sort of taken on that that role and, you know, he's such a leader as well on the pitch and it's a huge, huge loss. And the issue is our, our backups are just not good enough. And that's the one thing you were alluding to earlier is if we do get into the Champions League, how many players do we actually need? Because on the on the looks of it right now, a lot. But um, I think my number one choice would be to put Cedric at left back and hope that Tommy Yasu is back Um and then, yeah, I mean, that that would be the, it's not ideal, but that would be the most ideal situation out of the lot because Cedric has played left back before. I think he's played okay there. Um, you know, he's not going to set the world alight, but I think when you've got Gabriel Martinelli on the left, he's so good that it's almost like he doesn't need the overlap. And we've been seeing that with Tierney as well, that he doesn't need to bomb on because Gabriel Martinelli is creating chances for himself and he's creating opportunities out of nothing because he's just that good. So Cedric's role in an attacking sense wouldn't need to be, you know, as as you know marauding as as it has been the left back role in the past. And defensively, even though I'm not you know completely sure about him, I would say 
that over recent months, filling in for Tommy Asu. He's done a pretty good job defensively. I don't think he's been amazing, but I think he's definitely been better than, than what a lot of us would have thought. And then, as I say, what that allows with Tommy Asu coming back is just that solidity. So whereas the the system looked a bit, you know, out of sorts um, yesterday, with Tommy Asu coming back, it would really solidify us. And again, on on even if uh, on the other wing, like I think Saka can do that as well. Saka can create chances. It doesn't necessarily need uh, the overlap all the time. And Tommy Asu does, does have the capability to do that. It's not a strong suit, but I feel like he could do that. I think option number two, um, which I'm not a big fan of, would be to sit, stick Cedric at left back again, um, put White in at right back, and then holding at centre back. And for me, that straight away throws up an issue because why would you want to get rid of that centre-back partnership that's doing so well? But then I think to myself, yes, Holden has been good whenever he's come on. I think he's a top professional. I think he could do a job. It's obviously not it's not going to be pretty, but I think White can play right back as well. I think he's good on the ball. Um, he can go forward a little bit. He's not going to venture you know, past Saka, but I think he can do a competent job. But in the day, Harry, we're, we're light on options, but I think the number one thing I would say is I, I would be worried about having Nuno Tavares against any opposition, like tenth or above. I would say. Yeah, it's it's a really hard one, isn't it? I'm I, I think, and and I'm almost maybe scarred from from last season when it comes to Mikel Arteta and and the way he sort of tackles these kind of issues. I, I thought. If you think back to that Villarreal semi-final, and this one always sticks with me, so apologies if you've heard this story before or you've heard me kind of refer to this before, but I do think it has relevance here. I think in the past, we've tried so desperately to plug a gap and fill a hole that we've, in the process, weakened ourselves in multiple areas. And actually, that then has a bigger negative effect. Like... You take like remember last year in the in the Europa semi final we took Granite Xhaka out of centre mid and plonked him in at left back. A he's not a left back, and B, um, you know it, it took a lot away from our midfield at the time. Uh, if in an ideal world, right, had Thomas Partey not picked up this injury last night, I would have actually said to Granite Xhaka, go and play a kind of hybrid sort of left centre-back role, leave Gabriel in the middle, shift White over to the right and be like a back three when in possession. That's what I would have done. I would have said to him, go and play in that position and I would have brought Lokonga into the midfield and asked him to play that slightly more advanced role. Well, this when, sorry, this is when Partey went off, you were saying? Yeah, yeah. So so when, okay. no, when Partey was on the pitch, oh, the idea of, yeah, the idea of yeah. Xhaka dropping into a defensive position. It's not quite a left-back. It's a bit more like yeah. a hybrid between a left-back and a left centre-back. I thought, actually, that isn't too bad because at that yeah. period in the game, I expected us to control possession and I expected us to want to commit extra bodies forward. And, and if that meant that you could get the le the player playing on the left to bomb forward that little bit more or meant that Martinelli and Smith-Rowe could both be on the pitch at the same time, then I thought, great. And, and you look at the fixture that we've got coming up at the weekend, Brighton at home, and I would say that's a fixture where I expect us to control the game. Now, Brighton are a good side with the ball. I, I don't think it's going to be sort of 70-30 in Arsenal's favour in terms of possession, but I do expect Brighton uh, to be dominated. Now, though, with Partey out, I think we've got a massive bloody problem. We've got a massive problem because, it, and, and again, it's not just one of those injuries, it's the combination of the two, because now... We require Granit Xhaka to be the sort of the base of our midfield. I think that he has to play the Partey role. Maybe he's not suited to it. People will have that that point of view. And, and I don't think he's naturally um, suited to it. I don't think he brings the same things to the table as, as Partey does. But he's going to have to be the base of the midfield. And then you're probably going to have to bring Lekonga in. I don't know that with a weak left back, with a right back who is in our first choice right back, assuming Tommy Asu still isn't available, or if he is, he's going to be not fully fit. I don't think with two weak fullbacks, you can afford to go, I'm going to put Xhaka at the base of our midfield, and then I'm going to put Smith Rowe and Odegaard alongside him. I don't think you can do that. No. I think it's too risky. And so Lokonga has to play for me, 
to him to help with that balance. And then I look at the left back situation. I agree with you. If if Tommy Asu's available, Tavares has been so bad that I'd rather have a right footed Cedric playing there. But I really don't. And I, if, I, I, and I if don't Tommy Asu's the, not available, if Tommy Asu's not available, I don't know that I would break up the centre back partnership. Um, and I think I'd maybe, uh, I don't know this is going to be unpopular. I might stick with Tavares in that sense, in that instance. Yeah. But just risky. make sure. Yeah, it is risky. But as you said, how's he ever going to come through it if he doesn't play? Yeah. Um, but maybe just make sure that you've balanced that midfield a little bit better. Maybe go back mm. to a double defensive midfield pivot where it's Lokonga yeah. and Jacker so that one of them can get out there and help as opposed to it being a one-man sort of base and then the two more progressive midfielders. I think it's it's one where we have to kind of revert back to basics. And that takes away a lot from us in terms of the way we get forward, I think. But I can't really see any other solution. I think we're going to have to accommodate the, the weakness at left-back by getting the midfield balance right. That's what I'm trying to say hmm. in the sort of short form. Lacazette played uh, last night again, Mike, and we talked about him earlier as, as not having a good game. An awful game, in fact. There's been question marks about Lacazette for a while now. What what do you do? Do you try and change it there? Do you try and do something different? I've been sort of very adamant in recent months that we, we just don't have another option. I, I hear people talking about Pepe playing there. I hear people talking about Martinelli through the middle. Have we reached that point now where desperate times call for desperate measures and you've got to make that change? No, no. I, I still think, even though he was poor last night, I think, uh, as I said earlier, I think it's harsh to, to to single him out. I really do. I think you can't sing the guy's praises for all these assists and all this t- team play and 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 you know his commitment, even though his contracts. Like, I can't. I don't think you can praise him for that. And then suddenly, when he has a bad game or his weaknesses, which we all knew already, were exposed, as in his lack of you know getting in the box and scoring. I don't think you can suddenly turn around and say, oh, like, why aren't you doing that? We knew that. We knew his limitations. And we know the role that he's been given to play in this team. And even though he was poor yesterday, I still think the few chances we did create, he was at the centre of it. Those little one-twos with with Martinelli, he was the one that was, you know, had his back to goal and, and was laying it off. So if we put someone up there, if firstly, Martinelli up there, I don't think he's ready for that. I think he's way more effective on the left because he has more space. He can run at players mm. and he doesn't have that nous to play up front yet. He just doesn't. So that's that's a no-go. Eddie Nketiah is not going to play there. Pepe, who's not played all season, is not going to play there. So I don't. we don't have any other options. So we need to stick with Lacazette, stick with what we know, stick to what, even though it was, it was bare the other night, stick to what, you know, few opportunities we did have, which came through Lacazette, in my opinion. And just try and get through it because I don't think you can, you can say, oh, Lacazette's been really great over the last, not you, but I don't think people can say Lacazette's been really great over the last few games, even though he's not been scoring because he's added to our play overall. And then suddenly when he has a bad game, go, all right, get rid of him now. You know, I I don't think it's really fair. No, it's not really fair, is it? No, it's not because we, as you say, we all knew what his shortcomings were. We know that the managers decided to, to stick with him. We know that, that was the decision taken. We we know that Aubameyang had to leave. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting so frustrated from hearing people going, "Oh look, Aubameyang's gone to Barcelona and he's doing X, Y, Z." The guy didn't want to be here. You know, he he wanted out. We wanted him out. He, he's gone. It's done. Forget about it. Um, I think that, yeah, I I just think that when we have functioned this season, Lacazette's been key in that. I think he does get the best out of. The players around him, the Sackers, the Smith Rose, uh, the Odegaards. I think I know they all had disappointing games last night, but as we said, it is a one-off fixture. I just mm. I think that you do damage to them though as well if you take him out and you put someone yeah. who I'm not necessarily saying isn't a better player than Lacazette, but someone who isn't as conscious of of link-up play, who isn't as aware of his surroundings as Lacazette can be at times. It's yeah, it's it's a really tough one. It's a really tough one. I think look, one of the positives that we've seen from Arsenal this season, and we've got to be honest, is that over the course of the season, when we have suffered setbacks, we've been able to bounce back 
relatively quickly in comparison to previous years. I mean, if you think back to last season, we had a good two-month period, didn't we? That was absolutely shocking. We've mm -hmm. not had one of those uh, sort of collapses this season. We've been able to bounce back. There isn't very many better fixtures to bounce back in than a game at home to Brighton at the weekend, which yeah. you hope that is one that we can pick up three points from. And then maybe the outlook will look very different. Maybe Thomas Partey yeah. is only out for a couple of weeks. Maybe, um, you know, Nuno Tavares comes back in the side and does well. Maybe Tommy Asu's back and Cedric can fill in that left back. So I guess the, the overall message here is, it's it's worrying because of the situation that the squad finds itself in. Yeah. But that one defeat in isolation has not completely killed us. We talked about the game in hand just briefly earlier. We don't need to win that game in hand to have an advantage over Spurs. One point from that game in hand puts us at an advantage because we'll be on the same games and a point ahead of them. So it's, it's not a game that you need to obsess over and say, oh my God, we need to go to Stamford Bridge and win. Um, you know, Spurs' form over the season suggests that they're not going to win every single game between now and the end of the season. Neither are we, mind you. But yeah. there is, you know, so there is still such a long way to go that the yeah. meltdown is premature, isn't it? It's 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 a meltdown and, and different things every game, Harry. I mean, you know, after the, the game, because let, let's just let's just state facts on the weekend. Chelsea lost 4-1 to Brentford at home. Exactly. This is this is the Chelsea that are going to batter us in our game in hand. So you know, let's let's be realistic here and say that we've got a chance of, of definitely getting a draw, maybe even nicking a win in that game. So that that puts us ahead of Spurs. And look, Spurs played a played a, a Newcastle side who didn't really know how to how to break them down or how to compete against them at the weekend. They just looked quite lost in that game. And then they've got the sort of weapons in in Kane and Son that can that can hurt you. But that's not to say that you know Spurs are going to win every game. They're not, and ju just like we're not going to win every game. There's so many twists and turns to come, and and to sort of you know the, it's this sort of reaction from Arsenal fans now. It's like you know it's over. It's not over. We've yeah. lost one game three nil after being on a run of like six seven wins and one loss. I don't know what it is exactly, but it was five wins before Liverpool and then. And we've won since then as well. So, you know, let's not let's not go over the top. It was a bad result. It was a bad night. Um, there are some implications in, in terms of injuries, but as you say, after the three games that that we lost um, early in the season, first three games of the season, we bounced back. After Liverpool, we bounced back. Going back to last season, we were down in 14th. We bounced back. So, I, I back this team to to bounce back again because we have done so in in the recent the recent past and for me harry what i want to see on the weekend is see that fight and desire back i want to see mikel you know put a rocket up their asses basically and just say look that and he did say he said you know what we we criticized mikel for his for his interviews and him not really giving much away but he he laid into them didn't he he said this mm -hmm. was unacceptable he said this is this is the the basics and he was talking about he's doing that weird boat analogy again that, that he did last time that seemed to work. So whoever doesn't want to be on the ship can jump yeah. overboard. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's uh, unconventional, but I, I get what you're saying. It's probably, um, yeah. it's probably like a, a, a saying in Spanish that sounds a lot better. Like yeah. uh, we do, I do this sometimes. Like sometimes my, uh, I'll hear like Greek family members, like coming out with a phrase that when you try and translate it to English, it's like, what are you talking about? But yeah, in, in our language, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, um, I know exactly what you mean. That. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. I mean, hopefully it's that and it's not just a really bad analogy. But um, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, essentially. And look, as long as we've got that desire back and we've got that, that you know, mentality to compete. Because at the end of the day, like, as we were talking about earlier, Palace were not brilliant on the ball. They weren't. They, yeah. they didn't break us down. They didn't play around us and little triangles and sort of, you know, beat us one-on-ones and everything like that. We shot ourselves in the foot massively and we couldn't cope with the pressure. So as long as we can, you know, match that intensity in future games, we'll always give us a chance. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Uh, get some questions in the chat box. We're going to just take a couple of questions before uh, we wrap up. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys. So get involved in the comments. Also, uh, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. Join the 45 people who've already hit the like button. There's way over a couple of hundred of you watching us now across the multiple platforms. So 
um why not get those likes up please do hit the like button as i say if you haven't done so already and subscribe to the channel if you're new just before we take a couple of your questions uh, i just want to give a big shout out to um paul hill um on instagram who has sent me these wonderful prints um there you go so i've got one of emil smith row this is fantastic wow um and then i've got one as well of uh, of the king thierry Henry. These are done by Paul. So uh, if you're interested in getting your hands on some of these, uh, you can grab them uh, from Paul. Um, you can DM him on Instagram. His Instagram tag is at Paul underscore Hill underscore creative. Uh, so head over there, check him out. And thank you, Paul, for sending me these. Really, really appreciate it. I'll find a place for them uh, on the man cave wall uh, very, very shortly. OK, let's take some of your questions. Okay. Um, Palash says, do you think Tierney's recurring injury issues mean we need a top class left back this summer? We, I've said this a million and one times. I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but we can't build a team around people that you can't rely on being fit. Some injuries, they come about not through the player's own fault. And I'm not saying that this is Kieran Tierney's fault, but some players are more vulnerable to injuries. Mm. And Kieran Tierney is clearly one of those. Do we need to start to consider that when sort of basing things around him? I.e. people are talking about him being the next captain. Can he be the next captain if he's rarely available? I think that's a really good point, to be fair. And it's, it's one that I've not really thought about. And yeah, I mean, he is injury prone. Like that is just clear as day. The amount of injuries he's had since he's been... He arrived with an injury, didn't he? He didn't play for yep. a bit when when he first came, um, so yeah, that didn't really start off in the in the best way. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that's probably right. But what's the harm in having two, you know, top class left backs? Because I don't want to get rid of Tierney. I think he's a, he's a fantastic player, and you know what? Why can't he do like what he does for Scotland, where he where he plays at left back, and then sometimes he plays at centre back as well. And I think he's he's quite a versatile player. Um, so I'd, I'd love to keep him, but yeah, that could sure be an upgrade we make. But obviously, the issue we know, Harry, is we've got so many other areas that, that are pressing, and whether that is high on the agenda this season or this summer, I should say, I don't think so because I think striker, centre mid, and uh, and right back maybe will be areas that we need to focus on. So, whether that gets done this summer or next summer. Uh, I'm not sure, but it's one to look at for sure. Uh, Christoph says, uh, to add to that, that KT was out three out of 10 matches last year, owing to injury. 70% availability mm. is not a viable long-term option. Yeah, It's a good point. And that's why you need a deputy at left-back more than many other positions that is capable of coming in from the cold sometimes and doing that job. I mean, I've seen a lot of criticism just to kind of build on this, Mike for Mikel Arteta, but people saying, well, he doesn't use these players, so how can he expect them to come in? But surely we've had more benefit from having a settled team than we have negative from leaving some players out in the cold. The, the very nature of, of being a squad player is that you need to be able to come in. And yeah, you might not be at 100% when you first come back in, but you need to be able to get up to that level pretty damn quickly. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Do you ever do you ever go to the barber and your your barber's not there sometimes, or do you do you always make sure? Because it's like it's it, it's it's like going to the barbers and like that second guy is, is never quite as good, but you expect him to still give you a good haircut. You know you don't expect to, <laughs> to walk out of there with patches and you know a rubbish fade. Do, do you know what I mean? You you still expect the guy coming in to do a good job, and that's the reason he's there. The reason that Nuno Tavares is there is that when Tierney is not available, he plays and he plays to a high standard. So if he's not, then something that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I'm very precious about my barber, I've got to say. Always yeah. ring him first, make sure he's there, otherwise <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> uh, Graham uh, joins us in the chat. Hope you're well. Um, Graham, hope you're good. He says, that how much money will we need to spend to build this squad and where is it coming from? Yeah, look, it, it is... You know, we do look at the financials of Arsenal Football Club, the ones that were most recently published, and you do wonder where the money's going to come from. I'm convinced, though, I don't know about you, Mike, that if the right players are identified, if Arsenal sort of, if it's fed up the line that the right players are available, that KSE will put their hands in their pockets. I think they did that mm. 
during a difficult time already during the pandemic. Maybe that limits what they will do this time around. But yeah. I don't think for all the criticism we've had of them over the years, I don't think there's reason to believe that they won't try and take this rebuild to the next phase come the summer again. Yeah, firstly, shout out Graham Chronicles of Aguna OG. He comments on yep. every single tweet. I, I mean, you put out, Harry. Uh, legend, proper, absolute could, legend. Absolute legend, mate. And very, very nice to interact with, unlike a lot of people on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, cheers for the question. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, KSE believe in, in the project, don't they? They, they do. They uh, Arteta flew out to to meet them, to meet Stan a few months ago. And would he be doing that if, if they if they weren't really convinced? I don't think so. So, so yeah. I mean, it's, to be fair, a lot of people did speculate, oh, that means we're getting a striker in January. Didn't quite work out like that. Some said it was a new contract. Some said it was yeah, a striker. Yeah, yeah. Well, who some knows? Said, some said yeah. Arteta was giving him fashion tips. I don't know. You, you hear all <laughs> sorts of stories. Yeah, whatever it is. But um, but yeah, they, they, are, they believe in him. And I think if they see that we've made progress, regardless of whether it's Champions League or Europa League, they'll be, they'll be willing to back him even further because... Yeah, as you say, during COVID, we signed Thomas Party, and everyone was like, "Whoa, that is a huge show of faith!" Like in in this uncertain times, go and go and spend that much money, and then the next season we spend 160 million on on new players. So, I don't think there's any way you can question it if they're going to give it to him. How much money will we need to spend? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. It also depends on outgoings as well. How much money are we realistically going to make from outgoings? Because you look at a lot of the players that that could be leaving that are out of contract. We're probably, if they go this summer, we're not going to make any money for them. So that's immediately plays that you get no renew, renew, remove. Rem, what's the, what's the word? Remuneration, renew, remuneration. Uh, do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know, mate. I don't uh, know. Just, just, just go and edit it, Harry, and add uh, Google Translate saying that word for me. It's live. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> On the podcast version. Um, any anyway, yeah, money back. <laughs> we're not getting any money back for them, and it's it's whether the players that are that we're gonna sell or that we could sell will actually get money for us. So like, make the Knowles, he probably looks like he's gonna go. Mohamed Elneny might go. Um, Nicholas Pepe, will we choose to 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 get rid of him? And then obviously that adds a huge amount to the to the transfer kitty. But we'll wait and see. Yeah, we will indeed. I will just take this final question. Uh, from uh, essential departure, uh, remuneration. Yeah, is it remuneration? remuneration. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I just can't get my words up. Not remuneration. Cheers, it's remuneration. I, I honestly pretty, don't know. I'm pretty. I'll trust I'm Graham pretty sure that. that is it. I'll, I'll trust Graham on that. I'd, <sighs> yeah, you wouldn't think I was an ex banker, would you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take this one uh, just finally from essential departure. Do you see Lakonga coming in and doing a job for us? What are your thoughts on Lakonga? Do you trust in him to be able to come into the team now and fill the void left by Thomas Partey? Big boots to fill. I really like Lukonga. I've, I've always maintained since the first few days I, I, I saw him, the first few games he played for us, I always thought, you know, this guy's got a future. It's whether he can step up now. I think he was really sold short, Harry, in January when he had to stand in and, you know, play alongside Maitland-Niles. I thought that was really, really tough for him because... The last thing you want for a young player is to have another young, inexperienced player beside you. So playing alongside Granite Xhaka, which we think will probably happen, he will be a lot more comfortable. Um, whether that's the the greatest partnership, I don't know. I think maybe he's more suited to being a partner with Thomas Partey. But I think, yeah, I think I think we'll do a job. I don't think he's going to set the world alight, but I, I I do trust in him. I think he's a competent player. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of him. Um, I think that. One of the things he struggled with in his early days was just maybe holding on to the ball a touch too long. There's a couple of occasions where he got caught in possession or he'd, he'd sort of played a sloppy pass. He just needs to be a little bit more... I think when you're playing as the last man in the midfield, you need to just be a little bit more safe with the ball. And I think that that was kind of... That was clipping Lakonga's wings a little bit because if you watched all the clips of him and, and sort of did your scouting before he came to the club... One of the things that was so impressive was the the way he was sort of free uh, at his previous club to carry the ball forward and get into those positions and was able to take risks in the way he he passed the ball. And then all of a sudden he came into a team where he was being asked to be a little bit more structured. And that doesn't just mean you need to be structured in your positioning. It means you need to be structured in the way you distribute the ball as well and the way you use it. And I don't think he was careful enough 
at the start. Um, but yeah, I think he's got bags and bags of potential. Now's his, his time to shine. And unlike Nuno Tavares, he's got to come in and take that chance. Um, and if not force his way into the team right away, at least make Mikel Arteta think twice about going and bringing someone in in the summer to slot in ahead of him. And that's that's all he can do at the moment. So fingers crossed that he delivers. OK, we're going to leave it there because we've been going uh, over an hour Um Thank you all so much for tuning in. Don't forget to hit that like button if you haven't done so already. We're way off the target on likes. So please do smash it now. Subscribe to the channel as well. If you're new, Mike, let people know how they can follow you and keep up to date with your excellent work. Yeah, it's... Uh... There? Right down there. <laughs> uh, my... <laughs> I went the long way around. I thought you were going to yeah. dislocate your wrist there. Can you <laughs> Weird. Uh, at my underscore Stavrou uh, on Twitter is the best place. There's lots of moaning about Arsenal, but I, I try and keep it, you know, semi-positive just to just to not be like a lot of Arsenal accounts out there that, that love to shit on us. So For your own sanity, it's important. Mm. Yeah, please do uh, check it out. Also, uh, just a quick plug uh, for a show that I was on yesterday. Uh, over on the Bet Rivers uh, podcast uh, network, I was with uh, Andy Brassel, European football expert, and Nigel Seeley, uh, gambling expert, looking ahead to the Champions League quarterfinals. So, if you're interested in having a little bit of a punt, but if you're interested in just some great insight from Andy Brassel as well, uh, then please do check it out. You'll find it on my Twitter feed. It was a good bit of fun. We also did a Europa League one, uh, which is out as well for the games coming up later on in the week. And we did an early look at the World Cup. Uh, in Qatar after the draw was made. So there's lots of content there. Um, as I said, Andy Brussels a joy to listen to, man. You just want to sit there and listen to him talk about football. It's worth going over for that alone. We'll be back very, very soon with more content. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Try not to be too down. Uh, hopefully we can bounce back at the weekend. I'll speak to you plenty of times before then. Anyway, until next time, take care. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.